Good evening. Wow, it's been a long time. Even since uh, I stood in a pulpit and taught. So, real privilege to be here to see you. Uh, being on the mission field for 19 years, a lot of new faces came through the doors uh, while we were gone. And uh, as we were looking at those mission, that missionary couple, I was thinking to myself how important it is uh, and how meaningful it is when you're on the mission field to get support and prayers, concern from people uh, back home. So I want to encourage you in that. This church is so missionary-minded, done amazing work around the world, and we thank thank God for everybody uh, that's been involved. Uh, while we were worshiping, I, I was thinking to myself, what a privilege it is for us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. God loves the sacrifice of praise when our hearts are lifted up to him. I love to hear your voices uh, when you guys are praising the Lord. The band is up here committed to that task bringing glory to our Savior and to our Heavenly Father by means of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Yeah. We're now continuing our study in uh, 1 Timothy. So if you would, turn there to chapter 5. <clears throat> There's been kind of a, a theme throughout uh, when Rob began and everybody who had followed and the outline of the, of the, uh, the epistle is uh, chapter 1 was the church and her message. Chapter 2, the church and her members. Chapter 3, the church and her ministers. Chapter 4, the church and her ministry. And... I came up with, for tonight, the church and her methods. The idea being that order is governed by the attitudes that the people of the congregation might have. Starts with the pastor, obviously, as he's been appointed by God and gifted. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And... Um, Mutual respect among one another. And then, of course, the practical application. And that's this particular chapter is kind of dealing with that. The order of the practical applications that are associated with how God is leading the pastor and the congregation. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And, of course, that's where Timothy is as he's writing to him. So he got to know some of the people in some of the situations. And he's, he has to deal with them, obviously, just as Timothy does in person. And so Paul gives him some instruction. One thing we want to note, though, is <clears throat> traditionally, excuse me, in culture, Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, Roman culture of the day, a lot of the principles that are being outlined in this chapter are actually part of the culture, part of the tradition. Not a lot has changed in human interaction. Amen? Can we all agree with that? Families are families. The patriarch, uh, the granddad, the father is, in these days, it it was more strictly enforced that he ruled the roost. You know, he pretty much made all the critical decisions. But needless to say, in the background, I'm sure his wife was whispering in his ear and communicating with him about her opinions and so on and so forth. And then, of course, she was overseeing all the activities of the home. And um, recently, since I've got back, I've got back into the construction industry. And, uh, you know, I'm a little grayer than I was when I left. And um, it's interesting how the young men that are on the project, young men, even up to 40, you know, or so, they will, they will call me sir or boss, you know, just out of respect. And it's always been a tradition like that. 
that the elderly uh, are given proper respect, generally in cultures. And uh, so that's what we're going to be dealing with right off the bat here in this, in this particular chapter. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son, his protege, his co-missionary, and his co-laborer in the ministry. Paul had an endearing love for Timothy and reliance upon Timothy. You know, having uh, somebody that you can rely on and trust is a rare thing sometimes in life. Say a good friend, family member, co-worker. Somebody you can, you can actually put your trust in and depend on. These are characteristics that are desirable for all of us, but not necessarily uh, frequently experienced in life. And that's something I think that Paul was excited about in his own personal life, to have a guy like you know Barnabas and Silas and, and uh, Timothy and Titus. And all the other guys that, you know, worked with him. You know, guys that he could rely on. A crew, so to speak, that you could really, he could put his trust in. And so it's a beautiful thing when that happens. He loved Timothy and relied upon him. In fact, the, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that we're to serve one another in love. And this is an important issue in, in the body of Christ as we interact with one another. Sometimes we stumble across each other and how you doing and so on and so forth. And then we go about our business. But I think God wants us to have a circle of people that we're really concerned with intimately. Not that they have to tell us everything that's going on in their life, but uh, God gives us discernment. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us so that we can perceive issues in people's lives or needs. And that's a great thing as God begins to speak to us through His Word and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul writes this, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I always love the the way that Paul includes both the father and the son when he's greeting somebody or blessing somebody or talking about uh, some of the benefits that we all enjoy as born-again believers. And uh, by the way, if you haven't been born again, you've never really put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's imperative that you do. And I want to encourage you, make that decision. Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose again the third day, and then later ascended into heaven. And there he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. Isn't that a beautiful promise? I love that. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul wrote this, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, talking to the Corinthian church. He is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul could really rely on this Timothy, you know, to to imitate him. In fact, he even said that. Paul has said that numerous times. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And uh, it's important for young, uh, young men who are coming up in the ministry to look to their, you know, the, el- the elder pastor or to those that are mentoring them to, to get a handle on how we interact and deal with situations in life and the church among one another. Of course, and some of the things that Paul is going to be talking about in this uh, chapter 5. One of my favorite verses, I'm going to have to go to it, is uh, Romans uh, 
5, 1 through 5. Anybody that knows me and knows that I've cited it many, many times. It's the premise of our Christian life after salvation. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Because it speaks of efficacious grace, the grace that saved us. It speaks of life lessons that we experience in our day-to-day lives as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus And it speaks of faith, it speaks of hope, and it speaks of love. Where have we heard those words? The closing statement of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. Now, abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. That's right. The idea being, uh, as I started, uh, is that our attitude is, is going to be regulated, umpired, by the love that God is working into us. And that can only happen by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Therefore, this is Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, how were we justified? By faith. Abraham, the father of our faith, believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He was justified by faith. We are justified by faith in in the like manner with God. We have peace with God. We're not at odds with him anymore. We have peace. It's wonderful to be able to rest and know that God loves us, God's forgiven us, and that we can just be at peace. We don't have to be fearful or worried or have anxiety needlessly. Are there issues in life we have to deal with? Of course. But God gives us the inner strength by virtue of his presence, by virtue of his love that he's pouring into us, by virtue of the peace that he gives us that goes past his understanding, a love that goes beyond knowledge. All of this comes through the word of God. And as Paul would continue... We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Through whom also we have, now listen, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? By simple childlike faith, God is, ministers to us His grace. We have access to it. Non-stop. Where sin abounded, grace did much more about. I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul would say that I did more work than all the other apostles put together, and yet it wasn't me doing the work, it was the grace of God in and through me. God gives us everything we need to equip us to do whatever he's called us to do. And as we were singing, he doesn't fail. All our lives, he's been good, amen. Amen. Verse 3, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Anybody familiar with any tribulations in their life? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this. God's on my side. Who can be against me? And if there's tears associated with it, you know what? In Psalm 56, verse 8, I believe it is, he bottles every tear that drips from our eye. God is for us. And after perseverance, what does perseverance do in our lives? Not only do we keep plowing ahead, but it gives us character. Isn't it wonderful to meet somebody that's virtuous, that's faithful, that's honest, that's loving, that's concerned? Those characteristics are are the greatest. And if you can find friends and family members like that and brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. 
We might call those, uh, theologically, those are communicable attributes. Attributes, divine attributes of God that he imparts to us. Not only because we're human beings made in his image, but now we've been made, we're being conformed to the image of his son. An even greater heightened experience of life that's going to culminate, of course, in glory when we share in his glory. Character. We're not fickle anymore. We're not being tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. We're solid believers. You know why? Because we know this book. If you don't know this book, I encourage you, dive into this book and stick with it. And you'll be amazed at what God will say to your heart. Perseverance, character, and character what? Hope. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1 1. Or three, I can't remember now offhand, but getting to that age now where sometimes uh, the citations may not be exactly as accurate as they used to be ten years ago. Hope does not disappoint, doesn't fail. We put our trust and our hope. That's what faith is, really. Faith is the perception of what God has revealed to us by His Spirit, through His Word. And we say, you know what? I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to believe in that. You know, non-believers have faith. Amen? They do. They have faith in the wrong things. They have faith in lies. They have faith in... False doctrine. God has clearly revealed to us through the Scriptures and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and how He's moving in us, directing us into His truth as Jesus promised. So that we can perceive. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you get kind of the overview of what's happening with our human spirit and the spirit of God. And Paul closes that chapter in verse 16, I believe it is, and says, you know what? We have the mind of Christ. Imagine that. Imagine the mind of Christ getting upset about what's happening. God wants us to stay in touch with him through his word by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hope doesn't disappoint because what? The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I mean, that's the formula for Christian life and success. Right? The experiences of life are teaching us lessons, building character, giving us hope, And then the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into us. And then our attitudes begin to change. Things that we do in ministry to one another, how we we live our lives in our home, how we live our lives privately, the things that are going through the mind, what we think about when we're driving down the road to work or when we're working with our colleagues. We have an attitude adjustment. That's what God's in the business of doing, amen? A lifetime of attitude adjustments. Are we perfect? Of course not. Are we sinners? You bet. Sinners saved by grace. And how do we access that grace? We just read it. By faith. It's just that simple. In 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what Paul wrote. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sound mind. 
Isn't it great to know we have a sound mind because God has done the work inside of us? His love, His power. Let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, and younger men as brothers. Now remember, I said in Roman culture, this was, this was common, even among you know, non-believers. This was the culture, the tradition. And so Paul is just really reiterating what these people should already know. And that happens sometimes. Maybe there's uh, some changes that have taken place in the church. Once people got saved, they got familiar with one another. Forgot about the etiquette and the traditions and the cultures, the culture that they live in. And they become uh, impolite, inconsiderate, maybe. Presuming to know better. Presuming to... uh, you know, come to conclusions about other people that they shouldn't. Paul just wants to bring them back, you know, to the kind of life that they should be living. And more so in the church. It should be actually emphasized. If there's an elder in the church, you don't rebuke, you don't come up to him and say something rudely, harsh, to correct him, to reprove him. You do it with humility. You entreat him, as the Greek would imply there. So there's, some, there's humility involved in that. There's respect, deference for his position. And of course, it's all regulated by what? Love. You see? Love makes us do the right thing because, you know, quite obviously, it's God. And we have to remember these things. Exhort him as a father, and then younger men as brothers. We're not to look down our nose at other people. We're to lift them up, serve them in love, steer them in the right direction. We can all do that. All of us have an opportunity in life to mentor people, no matter who you are. Do we take advantage of it? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we like to be mentored. We like to be the needy ones. And, and, and God says that's okay for a season. But at some point, God gives us the opportunity to help others. And the only way we can do that is by knowing this book and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And having that love in us being poured out in us and then through us. That's what it means in the Greek. It's been poured into our hearts to overflowing. It can't be contained. That's a wonderful thing. Have you ever had those experiences with the Lord? The heart is so overwhelmed, you just can't control yourself almost within, with emotion. And your love for the Lord when you realize what Christ did and suffered for your sin, for my sin, how He loved us, and how the Father loved us, that He even sent Him. That blows our mind. And God is in the business of wanting to bring us back to this, that first love, if you will, over and over again in our lives. That's what it means in, in what is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're new creatures in Christ. But that renewal process, it continues as we discover more about how much God loves us and what God wants to do in and through us. And you say, well, I can't do it, Lord. Well, yes, you can. If you believe, faith, you can access the grace of God, as we read in Romans Five, one, and two. Older women as mothers, very important. 
My mom recently passed away earlier this year. You know, we were on the mission field 19 years. So, only had the opportunity to visit with her, you know, occasionally. But what I know of my mother and how I love my mother now translates into other, you know, older ladies, women, who I might come in contact with. Because God's in the business of of softening our hearts, making us concerned. And of course, as we read on, we're going to find out how that's put into practical application. Younger women as sisters with all purity. That's difficult sometimes. I mean, let's face it. We're sinners saved by grace, and sometimes the mind wanders. But we have to use discretion, and we have to have use self-control, and we have to be men. We have to be uh, guys who are able to, you know, honor the younger women in, in the church with that kind of attitude of purity and respect. Honor widows who are really widows, and that means widows indeed. And what that means is widows who are in need. Don't have anybody that takes care of them, are financially burdened, and uh, have, can't make ends meet. Or, think of it, they're lonely. You've had a husband for so many years, the husband's passed away, and, and the kids are out of the house. It's loneliness, and if she's not, you know, as we're going to see, uh, enjoying other activities to distract her from the Lord, there are times of loneliness. Not to say that, you know what, Christ is, isn't enough, it doesn't, but we do need that human interaction, and we do get lonely. All of us have experienced loneliness. You could be in a room full of people and still be lonely inside. Imagine an elderly woman now who's, you know, her husband's gone. She's under a lot of pressure to try to live. Maybe her kids have abandoned her. All she's got is the church. And Paul is reiterating the reality of not only the culture of the day in taking care of the elderly, but what? The, uh, the fifth commandment, Right? You want long years in life? Take care of your parents. It's not complicated. And maybe some of us in this have been guilty of, of neglect. Or maybe some of us in here are now approaching uh, an age where, uh, okay, there's some responsibility involved. Or maybe some of us in this room are competing with siblings on how it's going to all work out. Her best interest is what's important, whatever it is. Some kids just come around, you know, when it's that time for obvious reasons, selfish reasons. In that day and age, there weren't, you know, assisted care facilities and things of that nature. I mean, people really had to take in the elderly and uh, whatever issues they had to deal with physically and Emotionally and mentally, those were the issues they had to deal with till the day they went home to be with the Lord, hopefully. And so, that's why he says, honor widows who are really widows. And if any widow, this is verse 4, but if any widow, a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before the Lord. It's good. It's acceptable. Meaning what? Anything otherwise is not acceptable and not good. Just that simple. Sometimes we try to read too much into it. Take care of business. If you have the opportunity, God bless you. 
Life is fleeting. It's brief. Now the one who is really a, a widow and left alone, she, she's got to trust in God. And so she's continuously in supplications and in prayers night and day. And, you know, a lot of elderly women are worry warts. Amen? They get worried about everything. And uh, that doesn't change. But what's great about the fact that if they're believers, like this is, of course, telling us, uh, they are people who, uh, women who are in touch with the Lord through prayer. And so that's a wonderful thing. And you know what? You could be the answer to those prayers. Depends on what the love of God is doing in your heart and how the Holy Spirit is leading you. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Of course, there are ladies, elderly, middle-aged, who lose their husbands, and you know what? He left me a little bundle, and now I'm going to, you know, sow my wild oats, or I'm going to uh, do everything that is pleasurable for me, live for me for a while. That happens. For many, many years, they were missing something. And obviously, Paul has had to deal with this kind of stuff. It's common in every culture. So he addresses it. And so he says, these things command that they may be blameless, in other words, to prevent it from happening, and then what's coming. Verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Not a very high opinion from God on that one. And the reason I say God is because not just Paul writing, amen? God the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write it. And by the way, Paul may not even know anything about certain situations, but I guarantee that God Almighty knows and therefore, what he says through his word is vital and true. That's a beautiful thing to know, to consider. Because sometimes we might lose sight of that truth. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. In other words, if she's under 60, she's got the possibility of meeting an elderly gentleman and settling down again. Or she should, at that point, be taken care of her own family, you know, by her own family. Or maybe even possibly is able to still earn a living to keep things running at her home. All kinds of variables that are associated with that. So, obviously, the order, the mandate of order is, you know, there has to be some kind of limitation. It's not just a free-for-all. We're going to take care of everybody because they didn't have the resources. Neither the time or the energy. If you've been on a church staff, then you know there's lots of people that come to you in need. And you can't, you can't necessarily deal with every single person. It's just... It's almost impossible. So he's setting some limitations here. It's wise, and of course the Holy Spirit has inspired him to do so. Don't let her be enrolled, if you will, in the program. Not yet. Wait till she's of age, and if she's in need, then of course we're going to, you know, we're going to read later that by all means... Help her out. The church can help. Church will utilize its resources by its leader, through the leadership in a wise and uh, spirit-led way. And um, when that does happen, if she's nearing the age and she's been the wife of one man, well reported of good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, 
if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Wow. What a resume. <laughs> somebody who loves God, somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, perhaps uh, the love of God overflowing. Discretion, resources. I think it's in Luke, what is it, Luke chapter 8, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. There was a whole uh, group of women who actually looked after the disciples and, and Jesus. And some of them had resources, like you wouldn't believe, from the royal family who were related. They took care of business for the, for the guys so that, you know, they could concentrate on what they did best. Follow Jesus, hear Jesus, learn from Jesus, and be inspired by Jesus and appointed by Jesus. You ever been in a situation where you knew God wants you to do something, and yet, you know, you're so preoccupied with things in life, you get, you get distressed, oh, well, it's just for a season, and then, you know, months go by before, you know, and then sometimes you can't get it back. You have to really diligently seek the Lord in a way, okay, you know, I want to get back to where that was when you were talking to me about this certain thing or that situation or what you wanted from me, Lord. So we have to be cautious in our lives to pay attention to those details. Refuse the younger widows. Of course, traditionally in the culture, if a woman lost her husband at a young age, then she was encouraged to get married as soon as possible to another man. If she couldn't, of course, uh, you know, daddy, she'd have to, or the next, uh, next of kin, male kin, would have to take her into his household to look after her, to protect her. So this is not just for the church, this is, you know, and generally speaking, And, um, and so that's what, you know, Paul is saying. You don't have to look after the younger widows because of this very thing. You know, they're young enough to get remarried. Um, they have family. Dad, brothers, whatever, can look after them, and they can help mom again, or, you know, however the situation might be. What you don't want to do is be taken advantage of by somebody who just wants to get. And that's what we're going to be reading about, as a matter of fact. Because some young widows, and I'm sure Paul has had this experience, and God the Holy Spirit knows very well what's going on in the heart of man. They begin to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I have some pretty good sex appeal. So... Uh, I'd like to get another husband, but in the meantime, I'm going to flirt a bit with a bunch of different men. And project. In the Greek, it's actually talking about projecting their voluptuous sex appeal. And that's what it says. Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton, that's what it means, strange word, against Christ. Now notice that. The Holy Spirit says this is against Christ. Shouldn't act that way. Always looking over their shoulder, always sensing if somebody's looking at them and flirting, if you will. Why? Because they desire to get married, obviously. That's one of the reasons. But in the meantime, they might get carried away because it makes them feel good. having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. You see, they start walking away from the faith because they're, they're so preoccupied with finding a man and projecting their attractiveness, uh, in, however they do it, uh, that um, they lose track of their faith. So, uh, ladies... And, you know, you don't have to be a widow for this to happen. Obviously, a divorcee or somebody who's still single. These are things to consider in the church. 
nothing wrong with wanting to get married and nothing wrong with, of course, uh, spotting somebody who might be interesting to you. And uh, whatever opportunities might come along, that's one thing. But it's another thing to be preoccupied with it to the extent that you neglect your faith. And that's what, that's what he's talking about here. They've learned to be idle. What does that mean? That means that they're, they, they're not productive. They're lazy. Maybe they have some money. Maybe somebody's taking care of them. I don't know. You know the, we can only speculate. But apparently this, is, this can lead to some other things, like wandering from house to house. Not only are they lazy or idle, but also they become gossips. And busybodies, that means meddlesome, always occupied with what's going on in other people's lives and then going from house to house, whispering in people's ears and backbiting and things of that nature. You see, it becomes a preoccupation. They don't have to be real young either, by the way. He was talking about under 60. So it could be from a young gal all the way up to, you know, a middle-aged person to get trapped in that syndrome and then spiral downhill away from the Lord. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows, the ones who are capable of it and can find a man, obviously, get married, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully. This was the tradition of the day. And Paul's not telling them anything new, but he is saying now we have not only the cultural perspective, but we have the Christian culture perspective. And that's us. We know what's going on out there and around us. We have family backgrounds and history, and we've met people or married into a family. All those kinds of variables, you know, in our lives to govern how we deal with, uh, with life. But now there's a new perspective right here through the Word of God, how we're to deal with these situations. And, that's, and God is <laughs> he's a wise counselor, isn't he? Mighty counselor. The only wise God. And here he is, through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, telling us some things that he knows best. Father knows best. Amen? Our Heavenly Father knows best. Some have already turned aside after Satan. Well, you might say, well, where does Paul get that idea? I mean, where's the presumption in that, you know? Uh, Sometimes have you ever discerned that maybe in somebody else? And then only to find out that you were wrong? (laughs) We have to be careful. David would say, keep thy servant back, Lord, from presumptuous sins which is the great transgression. Psalm 19. So we can't presume uh, things about other people just by looking at their behavior necessarily, because we don't know what's going on in their heart. And by the way, God doesn't look at the outward man, does he? He looks at the inward man. And he weighs that in the balance. He's not shocked by the sinful behavior that all of us have uh, been occupied with from time to time in our lives. Or the person down the street that we despise because of their sin. Not shocked by that. Doesn't surprise him. God's looking into the heart. He's doing everything that he can. Bring that person to their senses so they might repent. Change their mind and believe in him. Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If any believing man or woman has widows, this is verse 16, let them relieve them. Okay? Somebody in your family, you have widows? And you're the responsible party in the family? Then by all means, you've got to take care of business. Lord's telling us. It's not an option. 
do not let the church be burdened. And see, there's a practical side to that, amen? Church can't be burdened with everybody. If there's people in, in the family or brothers and sisters who have the wherewithal, by all means, help out. And don't expect the church. You know, as long as I've been walking with the Lord, many, many times people have just presumed that, you know, the church is going to take care of it. The church is going to take care of it. I throw something in the kitty on Sunday, and it's their responsibility. Kitty just keeps the lights on, and the staff running things. God wants to get personal in our lives. He wants us to take part in other people's lives in such a way that what? They see Christ. They see the love of Christ in us, through us. That person really cares. That person is wise. How did, where did they get all this information? How do they know God? How are they able to analyze things and come to conclusions that are truthful and, and right? I can get great counsel from them. I can depend on them. I can rely on them. You see, all of these factors are what reveal to other people the wonderful blessing of being a child of God. Don't let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who so that it may relieve those that are really widows, you know, widows that are in need. They could be destitute for all we know. We don't know. Give them a visit. Find out what's in the refrigerator. That's a good start. I don't know how many times I've gone into an old folks home and just sang a few songs and told them about the Lord, and they were so overwhelmed with joy, especially the little old ladies. I mean, I'd have to make my rounds and kiss them all on the cheek. Because they were so hungry for to have a son, to, to, to relieve them of their loneliness. That's why it's a rare find when you, when you go into an assisted living place or somewhere where the staff are really doing a good job in that particular you know, realm of service. Of course, they don't do it for free. It costs a lot of money, but hey, you know. But I remember my mother was actually in an assisted living. She had to be physically. We couldn't, there was no way. But at the same time, uh, we saw other people. I mean, we were there all the time visiting her and stuff and spending time with her and so on. Uh, but uh, other little old ladies, they, you could see the hunger and the loneliness in their eyes. Just if I sat down at breakfast or at lunch with my mother there, the, you know, the ladies that were surrounding. This is God's heart. Remember? Orphans, widows. This is the heart of God. He cares for the lonely, for the elderly, who know that they're approaching the end of their lives. What next? Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. There you go. Paul talks about it in, uh, what, 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The writer to Hebrews talks about it in, what is it, 13, uh, 7 and 17. It's from the Old Testament. There's going to be a citation here. See, the thing is, is that, you know, when somebody is devoted to studying the Word of God, ministering at the church in that realm, and by the way, it is a labor. It is, it is, if you're a man of God and, and you're a pastor or whatever, and you have to, your whole life is about studying this book. 
and the intimacy that's associated with God's Word as God begins to speak to your heart and, and give you the ideas and the concepts and the doctrines, the sound doctrine that you want to communicate with the people in the church or with just a one-on-one with people. They're like fathers, you know, in the church. Now, of course, Timothy is young, and Paul warned him about that. He said, you know, be careful that people don't despise you for your youth, you know. But don't flaunt your youth either, and don't abuse your position and your youthfulness to insult other peoples. That's how he started the chapter. So, there's a give and take in that. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worth his wages. Notice it's in red. Jesus cited that. When he sent the, 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 the disciples out in twos, remember? He said, don't bounce around, you know, trying to get this or that, you know, to survive. Find somebody who, who actually is concerned about your well-being while you're ministering. Let them take care of you. Don't take advantage of it, but don't refuse it either. In fact, he had, he had nasty, Jesus had some nasty words, if you will, not in a sinful way, but insulting words, if you will, if uh, they were refused. Shake the dust off your feet. Move on. May God forbid that any of us should experience somebody shaking the dust off their feet and moving on because of us. Because of an element of selfishness in our lives that neglected what was obvious. So that's... See, these are, these are things that God is uh, trying to straighten out through to Timothy so that Timothy can instruct his congregation along these lines. And that's what we do. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. You know, people get offended, and right off the bat, they're telling other people and making accusations. Real or imagined? And this is the problem. So he says two or three witnesses, and that doesn't mean, in the Greek, that doesn't mean just anybody going along with the program. No, it means reliable, credible people. When two or three credible people come forward and say, yeah, okay, then it's got to be dealt with. But just one? Or non-credible people? You'd be surprised what pastors have to hear day in and day out. And by the way, they take it home to the pastor's wife a lot, or vice versa. It's tough. It's not an easy life. may have the wrong impression by watching all the millionaires there on TV, or crowd-pleasers and itching ear-scratchers. But the real deal is you get down into you get dirty. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. There's been occasions where somebody who was on staff all of a sudden is not there anymore. It doesn't mean the pastor got up here and spilled and you know uh you know, their, their dirty underwear in front of everybody. No. But it became apparent something happened. Now everybody knows they're not here anymore. They got fired or whatever it might be. But also, uh, maybe in the private circles that are associated with running the church or eldership or something, you know, things were discussed openly and confrontations may have ensued. 
That happens in a church. It's to be expected from time to time. And it needs to be dealt with, with wisdom and guidance from the Holy Spirit. And according to the Word. And then what? Everybody else is a little bit fearful. You know what? There's some divine discipline involved in this situation. And God's taking care of business through his servants, his ministers. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. I think there's probably nothing that irritates God more than partiality and prejudice. I get irritated by it. And I hope I have a heart after God. People are people. And if you're, you know, I mean, you, you've run across name droppers and people who uh, could, wouldn't give you the time of day if there's somebody more important in their vicinity. You know what that is? That's evil. We have to be careful. Because there's a big temptation for us to do those kinds of things so that we can score points with others or gain in some way. Pure evil. You know why? Because it's totally against the heart of God. And so it's important for us not to show partiality And that can be inconvenient. That can be really difficult sometimes. So, I pray that God will lead you into certain circumstances that he gives you the power to handle and the love in your heart to deal with whatever the circumstance may demand or require of you. For the angels. He said all of heaven is actually witnessing your attitude when it comes to these kinds of things. Imagine that. Without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Nothing. Nothing without partiality. Or with, I'm sorry, with partiality. That's what I meant. And that's what the word says. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, there's two ways this could be taken. And many usually gravitate towards laying hands on somebody young, inexperienced, naive, not mature spiritually. Because in another place in the, in the Word of God, it, it does describe that, where Satan can get a foothold in their life through pride, sin of the devil. But on the other hand, in context, you know, it could mean uh, don't uh, grab a hold of somebody um, and disregard them in a hurry, like a violent grabbing of that person to shake them or to accuse them or to make them feel guilty. But on the other hand, don't hide the fact that you know there's, there's sin involved here. So remember in the, at the beginning of Romans when Paul talked about people who approve you know, of other people's sins, that's not a good thing. And this could indicate that very thing too. In other words, don't part. That doesn't mean you're going to go out partying with them about whatever, or engage in some kind of uh, corrupt activity. No, it doesn't mean that necessarily at all. But it could mean, you know, keep yourself pure. Don't conceal their sins in a way that makes you a part, that gives them the okay. The Bible is very clear that we go to people alone and confront them when it's necessary. And of course, with all some of the struggles that Timothy's facing, he had some stomach issues. And uh, 
no longer drink only water, but uh, use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. What kind of infirmities? Well, stomach infirmities, pressure. Hey, this is a real burden on me. So it might be good for him to, okay, get a good night's sleep. Plus, he had stomach problems. Ulcers, maybe, over it. Who knows? It's all speculation, what anybody might say, including me. Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Of course, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. By the way, in the Greek, that means skins alive with a belt whip the chastening of the Lord he loves them and God will discipline us, amen 1 Corinthians 11 and by the way that's not just independent men's sins, could be collective ever think of that you know collectively a group of men can really get together and do some some interesting things. Corruption, greedy, greediness, stealing, taking advantage of the situation, usurping authority over other people. All of those kinds of things can be collective sins in any given situation. So not just the singular aspect of it all. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. Okay, we recognize it when people are, are doing good works. Again, getting back to that whole principle of, of somebody, wow, that person, that person is a good person. I want to get to know them better. And if that person has no prejudice or partiality, you will. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So eventually, as the saying goes in the Bible, your sin will find you out. Amen? Yeah. Time is it here? I think we need to close. I, um, I had a few points I wanted to make I don't have time for, but the importance of sound doctrine... Read the Word of God. Learn doctrine. It's surprising uh, the power of the Word of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised. He said, I'm going to send you the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide you, bring to your remembrance the things that I've taught you. There's pitfalls associated with false doctrine. Lead us astray. God has a high opinion about his word in Psalm 138.2. He says, you know what I esteem? My word above my name. So we want to make sure that we understand the importance of the word of God, the certainty of the word of God, and the omniscience of God. And lastly, I just wanted to point out, there is um, lately in evangelical Christianity, there's been an aspect of questioning what the Bible clearly teaches because the setting is no longer the same. Different time. Different place. And when God reiterates himself in the New, in the New Testament, you can be sure that he means business. God esteems his word above his name. His word will never fail. As a matter of fact, heaven and earth will pass away, but the words that he speaks will never pass away. He knows the end from the beginning. He's omniscient. So 2,000 years ago, when the scriptures in the New Testament were written, God obviously didn't know that the times would change and that we would live in a different setting. You get my point? So we have to be careful when we try to tiptoe around these things to presume that things have changed so much that even God 
can't keep his word as he declared it. He didn't mean what he said. So we have to be careful about those things. And, and I just want to encourage you to stay true to the Word of God. And of course, Calvary Vista, the best church that I know of that teaches the, the sound doctrine of the Word of God consistently. Thank God for Pastor Rob and Denise and the whole staff here. It's just a wonderful church to belong to. Okay, God bless you guys and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you tonight, Lord. We thank you that you teach us through your word. Cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with your love by your Holy Spirit whom you've given to us. We are just amazed, Lord, at the life that we live in you. And that you who knew no sin, Lord Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. How we love you for that truth. And we ask, Lord, for every person in this room that you would continue to illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might know you better and walk in your ways, obedience to your word. We love you and praise you tonight. Bless the rest of our week now. In Jesus' name, amen.